My grandfather fought against the Nazis in the Second World War. My father fought the Viet Cong communists in the Vietnam War. I fought Al-Qaeda and ISIS terrorists in the war against terror in the Middle East. But my family has also fought another war for generations, a war against the army of darkness, elderich horrors and evil men wanting the necromonic, the book of the dead, with pages made of human flesh and text written in human blood. It is my family's duty working with the Order of Merlin to keep the book out of the hands of evil as it has been for generations. The War on Terror. We were deep behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, bullets flying through the air, explosions all around me and my squad. I was keeping my head down, trying not to lose it. My pulse was rushing, my heart pumping, and I had no time for anxiety that PTSD would come later. For now, I just returned fire. One of the terrorists ran behind cover, the other one I got in the kneecap, he would never run again. Alex, my best mate, was covering right beside me. Cover me, he screamed, and I did as he rushed to the next cover. He got a grenade out and threw it over the cover to the hiding terrorist on the other side. It exploded, and we could see a rain of blood falling down. Great work, guys, Tommy, my squad leader, praised our effort. But don't forget about this guy. Jones joined in the conversation and ended the life of the terrorist I had previously downed on the sand with his loud machine gun fire. Great work, guys, I said to the others. It was just the four of us against an unknown number of terrorists. The demon. We were approaching the enemy stronghold. There were five terrorists and three hostages, two women and a small child, a boy of maybe seven at the most. We all decided on a target each and quickly killed four of the terrorists with straight headshots. Their exploded heads and brain matter were spread out on the sand. The last and final terrorist would be trickier though. He was hiding behind one of those hijab wearing women using her as a meat shield with a knife to her throat and a small handgun pointed in our direction. Typical ISIS terrorist scum hiding behind a woman, Tommy said. Haha, <laughs> you fucking infidels know nothing. My name is Karim, and I only use the Islamic State for my own benefits. God is dead. Allah is powerless. There is no heaven, only eternal suffering. I piss on the Bible and wipe my ass with the Holy Quran. What I seek is an unholy book of terror and necromonic and a book made of human flesh and pain written in blood and suffering. My ancestor, Abdul Lazard, and they called him the Mad Arab for it. Then I could see his dark eye switch colors to a bright yellow. It scared me, but my squad mates seemed unaffected, except for Alex. It was as if only him and I could see what was happening. That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even dead may die. No one understood what he was talking about except for Alex, it seemed. He started chanting in some unknown language. What the fuck? Tommy screamed in anger. What is he talking about? And it seemed like a bunch of gibberish. 
A bunch of nonsensical terms, but somewhere deep in my mind, it clicked, and it auto-translated. In the house of Rahil, dead Klachu, waits dreaming. I still did not understand it, still made a bit nonsensical, but at least it was English and not some alien tongue. I took aim at Karim. I knew he was a thing of evil, and I had to end his life. I could see his eyes switch colors again, burning red with hatred this time, and it looked like the motherfucker had grown horns, like a demon. Demon or not, I had only one shot, so I had to make it count. I took the shot as Karim was screaming for reinforcements, blood on the sand. I was aiming right between his eyes, took the shot, but I hit the woman wearing the hijab in the chest. All of a sudden, a lot of things happened at once. Time seemed to slow down into bullet time, like the Matrix movies or the Max Payne video game. Karim slit the throat of the woman. The boy screamed out in Arabic, but somehow it translated to English in my brain. Mother. I filled Karim with bullets, emptying out my entire clip. Tommy and Jonas were fighting off other terrorists trying to enter the cave. The other woman came rushing towards Alex, screaming in Arabic, Help me! Save me! I still had no idea how I had the supernatural physic ability to translate foreign languages from this world or others, but somehow I knew she was getting close to Alex, too close. I threw my throwing knife into her left eye, instant kill. She fell to the ground, as she hit the ground her suicide belt exploded. I could tell Alex was too close to the explosion, holy shit Jones turned into this direction and saw what just happened, but neither of us saw the child pick up Karim's gun. Well, not in time, anyway. My spider senses were tingling and screamed in Arabic to the boy. No, don't do it. But I was too late. He killed Jones with three shots and then aimed at Tommy. Tommy turned around and was ready to shoot the kid, but the kid was faster. Two shots took him down, and now the kid turned his gun on me. I had not had time to reload another clip after emptying it out on Karim. The kid raised his gun. Bang! Alex, somehow alive, had shot the kid dead in the head. I walked towards him and saw that one of his legs were gone. Don't worry, I'll carry you to safety. No need, he told me. But not with words, telepathically straight into my head. I could see a green glow from his left hand as he began to heal his wounded leg. I have special abilities just like you have. I work for the Merlin Order. I am here on a mission to capture the Necromonic, the Book of the Dead, and you will help me. I could see the body of Karim disappearing in flames. The Merlin Order. Wait, what the fuck are you telling me? What the fuck is the Merlin Order, the Book of the Dead, this so-called Necromonic, and all this Kaluha nonsense? I asked him, irritated and confused. I hope you can understand why this was a lot of info to get at once. Up to this point, I had never had a supernatural experience in my life, or had I? Something in the back of my mind clicked. It was like a missing puzzle piece being put into place, creating a picture previously unseen. A childhood memory of my mom yelling at me for speaking with ghosts. 
But no, I just had a vivid imagination as a kid. Those ghosts were not real. Also, I remember my father sitting at a fireplace showing me swastikas from dead Nazis my grandfather had collected from SS troops he had killed in the Second World War. My father had cut ears from Viet Congs he had killed in the Vietnam War, and there was something else he had said about Kaluha, an elderich god with a beard made from tentacles like some hentai monster, but far more sinister and ominous, and the book of the Mad Arab, Abdul Hazard, made out of the flesh of innocent humans he had tortured and killed fathers and mothers, and the pages were written with their children's blood. Something about this book having the power to wake Kaluha sleeping in the house of Rihayo, and when he woke, he would end the world war. But alas, I had no time to reminisce. More terrorists were coming. Somehow, my newfound supernatural intuition told me. My spider senses were tingling, to put it into comic book terms. Yes, I am like you, gifted. I am a healer, as you can see. But your powers are more powerful than mine. You are of a special family. The Order planted me as your friend to always keep you safe. We cannot secure the Necromonic without you. Okay, what's this about my family? Or fuck that. You are a healer, so you can heal Tommy real quick. He is still alive. He is for now, but won't be for long. An unfortunate sacrifice for the greater good. I healed myself and must rest before using my power. And for Jones, I am sad to say I cannot bring anyone back from the dead. There are limits to my powers. We must go now, and quick. Terrorists are coming. The worst thing, much worse, and we cannot let them find us. This was also a lot to take in, so the Order had planted him. Was he ever truly my friend? Also, I did not like the coldness in his voice. I understand he could not save Tommy, but he seemed uncaring. Meanwhile, my eyes were filled with tears. We walked past him, screaming for help, but we just left him there. I could see enemies finding him, hearing him screaming in pain, and then an explosion. I guess he ended it all with his grenade. Good on him, rest in peace, Tommy and Jones too, of course. The blood of Christ. Well, it seemed like I had no choice but to trust my life in Alex's hands, for now. So where is the Necromonic? I cannot tell you exactly, my friend, but it is close by. Somehow, I can feel it in my body, and I can feel that we are getting closer. It's like playing hot and cold, as we did when we were kids. Yes, and it's getting hotter and not colder. The trail, it is this way. I could see a small cave, footsteps in the sand, made a trail I could see easily followed, even without supernatural abilities. It must be in there, I told my childhood friend, secretly working for some strange order. Yes, yes it is, the Book of the Dead, finally. I had never seen Alex so overcome with joy, and we had known each other all our lives. But I become hesitant, should I really give the book to him? The alarms in my mind were going off, and really loud too. 
So I guess both my grandfather and father worked for this order. What makes my family so special, and how many members does the order have? It is a secret society sworn to keep mankind safe from Mad Arab and any supernatural or elder-rich horrors. Only the leader Merlin himself knows the exact number of operatives, but we are spread all across the world. Merlin, it cannot be the one from the tales of King Arthur, can it? It most certainly could be, but is it? That needs further confirmation. All I know is he is very old and very powerful. If he is so fucking powerful, why have he not destroyed the book by now? And what the fuck does he need from me? I asked angrily and confused. Well, the book cannot be destroyed, or it could doom us all, this world and countless others. And not even Merlin himself can touch it. Only one who has a pure heart, the blood of Jesus Christ in himself and their family, like your family have. Third eye opened, mind eye. Jesus fucking Christ on a cross. You should not use the Lord's name in vain. According to what you just told me, it would seem I would have the privilege to do so. Touché, and I had finally found a way to shut Alex up task that had seemed impossible for all my life. I was not sure if I fully believed I had the blood of Christ in me or not, but something was special about me and my family, my entire bloodline I suppose. My third eye was open. I could see the necromonic being held inside the cave, being held in a chain hanging in between Two giant ogres holding it. I could sense its wicked, twisted, and evil powers. This object was the most foul abomination and cursed object on this planet. My mind's eye showed me something more in the cave. At first, it seemed like a Taliban warrior with a dark beard like the others surrounding him. But no, its beard was far more sinister because I could see it moving. Alive, it was made out of tentacles. Is that, yes, a cephalid. It has a tentacle beard and bat-like wings, just like the Elderich god, Clachulo, himself. They are human-sized and want to awake their god so they can end the age of man and begin a new age of Elderich horrors. Third eye opened, mind's eye. Jesus fucking Christ on a cross. You should not use the Lord's name in vain. According to what you just told me, it would seem I would have the privilege to do so. Touché, and I finally found a way to shut Alex up. A task that had seemed impossible for all my life. I am not sure if I fully believe I had the blood of Christ in me or not. But everything was special about me and my family, my entire bloodline, I suppose. My third eye was open. I could see the necromonic being held inside the cave, being held in chains, hanging in between two giant ogres holding it. I could sense its wicked, twisted, and evil powers. This object was the most foul abomination and cursed object on this planet. My mind's eye showed me 
something more in the cave. At first it seemed like a Teleban warrior with a dark beard like those others surrounding him, but no, its beard was far more sinister because I could see it moving, alive. It was made out of tentacles. Is that... Yes, a syphilid. It has a tentacle beard and bat-like wings, just like the Elderich god Chaluku himself. They are human-sized and want to wake their god so they can end the age of man and begin a new age of Elderich horrors. Child hostage. Ready, here they come. All my weapons were ready and loaded, and battle ready. I could see another woman and child being kept captive. Same way as before, but this time, I had to save them. Both. I would not let anyone else die on my watch. But Alex had other plans. Fuck the kid and woman. They are probably terrorists with explosive vests anyway. Their lives matter not. And need of many outweigh the need of the few. What are two lives against all lives of this planet? Come to your senses. It's you who needs to do that, and fuck you very much otherwise. I rush towards them carelessly, dual wielding a pair of pistols and landing headshot after headshot. It was like I had aimbot in a video game. The brain matter covered the woman and her child, and there was plenty of blood on the sand. The woman rushed towards me. I could see Alex getting ready with his machine gun beside me. No, I pushed it away, so he shot the air beside her. My name is Lou Ben, she told us. Thank you for saving me. Abby, the woman screamed for her child, but he had pissed himself and seemed to be too scared to move. A man with a large and sharp-looking blade was approaching him from behind, and beside him was Karim, the demon, saving lives, taking lives. Please save my child, Lubin asked of me, but she did not have to ask. With one swift motion, I let go of the pistols, grabbed my machine gun off my back, and filled the terrorist's chest with lead making his torso explode into blood and guts. Krim seemed unfazed. In fact, he was smiling, a devilish grin. Abby, kill the infidels, he told the child. Abby obeyed his command and picked up a pistol he had been hiding in his pants. It had pee still on it after he pissed his pants. He took aim and was ready to shoot me, but I shot faster. I blew his head off. After that, I shot out both of Karim's eyes. He fell backwards, seemingly dead. Abby was rushing towards us now. He would be here soon, safely. But then, BOOM! The boy had stepped on a landmine. Purple Heart. Okay, Alex, we must help the boy. Your mission is to keep me safe. I don't really give a fuck what you think. I have the blood of Christ in me, not you. My words are law. And I am not letting that child die. Okay, I will try and heal him. And you don't have to be so rude and shout, Alex told me. Thank you. We must save the boy. Luban cried, her beautiful dark eyes clouded with tears. She really was a ten of a ten. But I had no time to get lost in her eyes or any part of her curvy body for that matter. 
We got to her kid safely. Alex used all of his healing powers. It made him fall down, tired from using such a powerful spell. He almost passed out. But the boy lived, and he was regenerating his lost body parts. I felt proud. Ben, the mother, was understandably overjoyed. I called in a helicopter. We were going to get the fucking book, the Necromonic. Book of the Dead, and made up human flesh, or whatever, then get the fuck out of here. Things were looking up. But no good things last. I saw a red dot on my chest, and I reacted with cat-like reflexes. But I was still too slow. I felt a burning pain in my chest when the bullet from the sniper hit me. He was ready for his next shot. The red dot was right between my eyes this time. He took to shoot. I could still see the bullet flying towards me, right towards my brain. And then it took a left turn. It flew back to the sniper and into his brain instead, making his head explode on the impact. I have telekinesis abilities, Nuban, the beautiful Arab woman told me. You did not think you landed all of those headshots by yourself, did you? To tell the truth, I had, but I felt safe to have another powerful ally on our side. Now let's end this. Let's get that book. In the horizon, I could see the hordes of the dead approaching, now led by the undead Tommy. Hordes of the undead. Yog Sogoth and Eldritch God. Looks like a blob filled with eyes and tentacles. Yog Sogoth knows all, sees all. Nairolo Hoptep, its head looks like a tentacle on its chest. It has a mouth that is always hungry. Nairolo Topeps is uh, powerful enough to end the earth, but chose not to do so. It likes to torture humanity like a cruel child torturing ants or other small animals. Snakebeard, not a monster Lovecraft wrote of, but a powerful and mysterious foe. Its beard is made out of snakes, much like Medusa's hair. Aztog, the dreamer, may he never wake up, or he will doom us all. The ghost of the mad Arab, Abdul Alazard, spoke to me. I had to snap back to reality. The helicopter was laying waste to the zombies with constant fire from a minigun. Then it appeared again, Karim the Demon. Horned like a devil and flying on bat-like wings this time, the demon made the helicopter crash. It killed tons of undead in the crash, and then the rotor blade kept spinning, killing even more, and then the helicopter exploded. There were not many zombies left. Me and Luben kept shooting straight headshots guided by her telekinetic ability. The demon was above our heads, getting ready to launch a fire attack. Alex grew angel wings and flew up and cut the demon's head off with a swift sword strike, ending Karim once and for all. I guess he really is your guardian angel, Luban told me and kissed me. I felt a burning sensation and a desire in my heart. Ew, kissing is gross, her young boy Habi told us. You let me die, the undead corpse of Tommy came towards us, ending in old friendship. Yes, and I will do it again. Bang! 
One bullet straight through Tommy's brain, hell of a way to end an old friendship, but effective, felt cathartic. Alex had recovered. He, me, and Luvan made quick work out of the last few zombies. Now, with both Karim and Tommy dead, we could finally go into that cave and get that damn book. Into the Cave of Madness. We had gathered weapons from the dead corpses. All three of us were battle ready. But we had the kid with us. We felt somehow he would be safer with us than without us. Inside, we save a woman. I could tell she had an explosive vest on. Juhanion, my sister, Luban was surprised to see her sister captured here inside this damp cave. Abi began to run towards his aunt. I firmly grabbed his arm. No, you stay here, young man. Now Gianya came towards us, just as her sister, C, was a real Arab beauty, so I felt really bad about what I had to do. I kicked her in the chest, making her stumble backwards into a group of terrorists. I shot the bitch, and she exploded into a bloody mess, taking all the terrorists next to her, with her, into her paradise or wherever terrorists go. Alex threw a grenade right into the open mouth of one of the trolls. It exploded from the inside out, covering the cave with its guts. This was my chance. I rushed towards the necromonic and grabbed it. I could touch it. Maybe I was the blood of Christ after all. One terrorist with a beard made of snakes tried to grab the book. He most definitely was not. The blood of Christ, the book bit his fingers, and the blood began to spurt out. I hope your seventeen virgins, Warhammer, Dungeon and Dragons, World of Warcraft, and Magic the Gathering players, I told the terrorist fucker before stabbing his brain through his eye. He died instantly. Luban made a sword levitate and fly into the neck of the troll that was left. He too went down. Alex and Luban began to work on getting the chains of the book. I hold the book like a baby against my breast, and with my free hand I took aim and shot my pistol at any surviving opposing forces. Not many left now, only that the mini Chaluku tentacle beard and a few humans. The kid was standing next to me, safe for the moment. I shot one in its neck. Next on its skull, next one in the heart, only two left, but the Kepaloid was calling in more. I could feel them approaching outside of the cave. A shot in the left eye and the terrorist's brain splattered on the cave wall behind him. Now the last one. I aimed for his throat, but he moved. Damn, he was quick. He shot and Luban moved the bullet with her telekinetic ability out of the way towards my head. I shot again, hitting him straight in the face this time. But as he went down, he let go of a shot that hit Alex. Out of ammo, but only Mr. Squidface left. I grabbed a dagger ready to throw it at him and end this, but he summoned tentacles out of the ground in the cave, restraining me. Alex and Luban. Alex was already bleeding from his wound, not looking so good, and the enemy troops were approaching. Were they men or demons? 
I did not want to find out. Abby, now! Uben, the mother, screamed at her son. Abby transformed into a horned demon. Fuck, he was so terrifying that even the capaloid with its beard of tentacles looked scared. Burn Abby, told Squidface, and burn he did. Abby's hand worked as a flamethrower and burned the foul creature. It screamed in pain, and the cave filled with the smell of smoke and its burning corpse. Karim is his father. It is a long story. I told him to only use his power when I told him to. Alex had cut himself. What the fuck are you doing? I asked my guardian angel. It is blood magic. I cannot summon a portal any other way. I was already shot and wounded. The enemy horde is approaching. You must grab the book and get out now. The portal will have power to take all three of you and the book to Merlin order. But beware, there is a traitor in the group. That was a lot of info to be dumped on at once, but I had no time to think as usual. I grabbed the book and we all moved into the portal, meeting Merlin. Finally, I got that fucking book, but it had cost me the death of all my friends. I met a beautiful young Arabic woman with telekinetic powers and her son with demonic powers. I had been told I was a descendant of Christ and therefore only I was good enough in heart and spirit to touch the unholy thing without being corrupted. Now to finally meet this Merlin and his order and see how we could destroy this book once and for all. My dad's ghost appeared before me. Be careful who you trust. It was ironic as a kid. He told me not to speak with ghosts. Now he was one. A man with a long gray beard sat atop of a throne. I take it you are this Merlin, I asked him. Indeed I am, and you must be the blood of Christ, and I see you have the Necromonic, the unholy book, with you. Yes, we lost Alex, my guardian angel, to get it. How do we destroy it? Alex did his duty. Destroy it, you say. Pardon me, but I must have a laugh. Ha ha. I don't think there is any way to destroy it, and even if you did, you just end up as a mad Arab ripped to pieces by unseen eldritch terrors, and Kaluchu will awake and destroy the world. So, say I, Merlin, of the order of my name, the secret brotherhood of light, swore to keep humanity safe from terrors lurking in the night, supernatural eldritch space good, or otherwise. Eh, yeah, about that. You are not that Merlin you know from the tales of King Arthur. I asked the bearded and fat man. I do know, and what if I am? What difference does it make to you? Let's just say my backstory is shrouded in mystery for now. We have more important matters to discuss. An owl was sitting on Merlin's right shoulder. It seemed intelligent, listening in to the conversation like a human. Oh, never mind Archie, he is just my pet owl. Um, okay, but what about the book? Tomorrow, you, the woman, and the kid will follow Sir Lancelot, Van Helsing, Sherlock, and Jekyll and Hyde. All of them are descendants of legendary people such as yourself. Lancelot is trusted the lead over the mission, and he has been given 
the expedition map. You will go to the Church of Jens, where the relative of yours, also a blood of Christ, lives. He has the compass that needs to be used with the map to find the house that does not exist. But if it does not exist, how the fuck are we going to find it? Well, that's what the map and compass is for, of course. And also, whatever you do, and this is of utmost importance, of course, do not read in the accursed book made of human flesh. It is known to drive men insane. Naturally, I spent half the night kissing all of Ruben's body. Her skin was so smooth, and we had some intense lovemaking. The other half of the night I spent reading and learning necromancy. Church of Jens. So this is Jens as his own church in the woods, named after him. Seems a little egomaniac, if you ask me. I don't recall someone asking you. He is blood of Christ, as is you. The order will protect and obey you, both. Why else do you think I have kept up with your annoying rambling? Percival was not a pleasant guy to be around, and I have deduced that one of you will be worthy of drawing the sword out of the stone. No shit, Sherlock. Anything else you deduced? Well, elementary, my dear Jekyll. There is a traitor in the Order of Merlin. Very possible he is on this mission right now, but who it is is still shrouded in mystery. Sherlock's words made everyone quiet. I thought about what my father told me, and at this point I thought Jackal might be the traitor. Him or Van Helsing, the quiet one. I didn't trust that one as far as I could throw him, which naturally was not very far at all. Well, no time to dwell on that. We are approaching the church in the woods. Jens and his believers should be here. Jens stepped out, one beautiful green-eyed blonde in each one of his strong arms. Both had enormous tits. I could see Jekyll the pervert looking a little too long. I was careful so my girl did not catch me looking. So this is the keeper of the necromonic I keep hearing about. Good job securing the book. The Order has been looking for it since the murder of your father. I suspect you are looking for this. He held out the compass and it immediately began spinning. Weird, it's never done that before, Jens told the obvious. Not too clever, that man, but very handsome. God, I hated him already. Perseville pulled out the extraordinary map and when held to the map, the compass pointed at the sea. But there is nothing there, I said, confused. Oh, but there is, Sherlock said. The sunken city, the lost city of Atlantis. Cult of Jens. So we should see which one of us two can grab the sword out of the stone. The one chosen by the sword will be the leader of our team in this expedition to Atlantis. We will go back to my church after the ceremony and festivals to the night and me and my guardian angels will accompany you on your quest. Be that as your leader or your follower. Do you sleep with both of those gorgeous twin sisters? Jackal asked jealously. He was a thin and pale man with no muscle build and his ribs were showing. He looked like a drug addict, spending all his night awake and never eating enough. 
Yes, of course, and I will have the pick of any woman of legal age in my church. In fact, I will take their virginity as a birthday present, only if they are pretty enough, of course. But most are, he laughed. Jackal was so mad with jealousy that you could see his other half, the mad Mr. Hyde trying to take control over the body, but Jackal could subdue him for now, just barely. Perhaps the woman and her child should stay here. Father Cahalan and the Templar Knights will keep them safe, I am sure. Excellent idea. They need to rest. They must be tired from traveling. I trusted the Templar Knights. It was Jackal himself, or should I say Mr. Hyde, that I did not trust. Don't worry, we will keep them safe. The ghost of both my grandfather and father appeared before me. Sword in the Stone So, of on our adventure we went deep into the woods. We passed a cemetery right outside of the church. I deeply wanted to practice my necromancy skills, but alas, maybe later. We went deeper and deeper into the woods. The trees started to grow more thickly, and now they were so dark we could not see the sun anymore. You could take your sunglasses off, I told Van Helsing. No, I'd rather keep them on, thank you. The vampire hunter was dressed in all red with a white cross on his chest, a red top hat, long dark hair flowing on his back. He wore a face mask over his mouth, like he was trying to not spread a virus. Lang Keelot was drinking water from a bottle. He had removed his helmet shaped like a lion from his white armor. It got hot in there, so he had to drink a lot. Are we there yet? Lang Keelot asked like some child in the back seat of a car. Elementary, my dear sir, night, Lankilot. I can see a sword lit by the sunlight in the woods, and I suspect it is the sword in question. After all, it seems unlikely that these woods should hold a second sword in a stone. I went over to the sword and tried to grab it, but I simply couldn't. Jens took the sword out with ease. He held it over his head. It glittered in the sunlight. It seemed to have some sort of magical power. He was surrounded by a hot twin angel on each side, one in a black bra and a g-string, and the other one wearing the same but in white. They were sexy as fuck. I presented Jens with the Necromonic, the Book of the Dead, but when he tried to grab it, it grew teeth and bit two of his fingers off. It started to bleed. Fuck! He was hurt. One of the angels healed his wounds. I think her name was Anna, and her sister, Santa, were the other way around. While this was an unfortunate predicament, Sherlock stated the obvious, wearing his SWAT gear completed with a bulletproof vest. There would be a dispute on the leadership of this group. But not now. My spider sense was tingling. We had company, and not the good kind. The Judas Order. We were surrounded. We are the Judas Order. Christ died on a cross, and so shall you. A nail gun shot spikes at Jens, hitting his arms and legs in the same spots Jesus was during his crucifixion. He started bleeding, 
intensely. He swung the sword, and it shot out some kind of magic beam cutting three members of the opposing cult in half. The green grass of the forest turned reddish from the blood. Sherlock was smoking a pipe in one hand and shooting a 9mm handgun with the other. He landed nothing but headshots until his clip was empty. That's when one of Judas's forces grabbed him by his gun arm and then chopped it off with a machete. Van Helsing had removed his mask and began to drink blood spilled from Jens from the ground. He was a vampire, I knew it, but whose side was he on? I kept my AR-15 busy emptying out my magazine into the enemy horde. The angels were both flying high, raining down some type of magical lightning from their hands. It hit the ground and exploded like grenades. Arms and legs were flying through the air from the dead foes. Sir Lanquilot was rushing into the enemy troops with his signature lance in hand. He had put his helmet back on, ready for battle. His long lance penetrated many of foe, until he was halted. Tentacles spurred from the ground, grabbing his arms and legs and making him unable to move. A man dressed in all black with a black ski mask covering his face began to laugh. He held a black pearl in his hand. It turned from sunlight into a full moon eclipse. Some of the enemy's hordes started turning into werewolves. We were in deep shit, the man in black. Van Helsing seemed to be powered up by the blood of Christ. He was killing werewolves left and right. He was wearing black gloves that let the vampire hands hold the silver weapons. They shot silver bullets, but two six-shooters can only hold so many bullets after killing twelve beasts. He was emptied out, and a particularly big and fierce werewolf attacked and bit off a part of his chest and began shooting on it. A demon horned with dark bat-like wings flew up and attacked the twin angels. In one hand he held a shield, in his other a devil's fork. A trident-like weapon. The angels threw lightning at him, but he shielded himself. He stabbed Anna in the heart, and her sister Sanna screamed, mourning the loss of her twin sister. The demon laughed. Sherlock, now one-handed after the enemy had cut off his right hand, smacked the enemy in the face with his pipe. He had been smoking, and holding his left hand, the vampire's face started to burn and melt, and it died screaming in pain. I was standing by Jen's side, protecting the tall blonde man who was related to Jesus Christ. I had begun to suspect I was in fact not. I emptied out a clip after clip, and magazine after magazine into the enemy hordes, but they kept coming. The clips seemed to make them never-ending. If only we could get rid of the Black Pearl. And who was the man dressed in black? Judas Iscariot himself? And I sensed that Merlin had sent one secret agent with us. I could only hope he was really on our side. Sir Lanquilot was ripped apart limb after limb by the enemy's tentacles. The man in black grabbed Lanquilot's head in his left hand, still clutching the black pearl in his right hand and he closed his fist. 
turning Sir Culot's head into mush. The man in black unmasked. The black pearl, his head was shaped like a tentacle full of eyes. And it had a mouth with sharp, shark-like teeth in it. I know who this was. Nairo Lohotep. I could not let this tentacled son of a bitch get his hands on the Necronomic. I could sense the secret agent making a move. Thirty silver coins is the price he sold out Jesus Christ in your soul for Isakarat. Van Helsing threw thirty silver coins at the werewolf munching on Van Helsing. It got penny-sized wounds burned all across its body. Van Helsing grabbed a silver dagger and the beast's head and began to decapitate it slowly. Sana, fuming with rage, threw one of her lightning grenades at the demon's face, hitting it, and it exploded, making the demon's brains rain down on the battlefield under it. She tried to heal her sister's wounds, but it was too late. She instead turned her attention to Jens, the blood of Christ. Naya Ropet sent one tentacled arm against me, reaching for the necromonic. I could not let it seize the Book of the Dead, seemingly out of nowhere. Nairo Lopet was decapitated, losing his left arm and the Black Pearl. This was our chance. Several things happened quickly at once. It struggled with the tentacle. Van Helsing rushed for the Black Pearl. Sherlock kept shooting pistol on hand. Jens was healed by Santa and grabbed the Excalibur. The Invisible Man was the secret agent Merlin had sent with us. He stabbed Nairo Lopet in its ugly tentacle face with his invisible dagger. Jens cut off the tentacle with Excalibur. Van Helsing stabbed the Black Pearl with his silver dagger, destroying it and ending the eclipse. Sunlight turned the werewolves into regular men and turned the vampire Van Helsing into dust. He gave up his life, saving us. Jens sent a force blast from the Excalibur blade, cutting Nipro Lopet into two. Suzanne got dressed in Sir Lancelot's armor, and after that, buried her sister. There was nothing left of Van Helsing to bury, so he put his ashes in a glass bottle that Sherlock kept on him. The enemy horde scattered. The battle was won. In the distance, I could smell the church burning. Church in flames. Sherlock's arm wound was healed, but his arm could not grow back. Suzanne had Lancelot's armor. Jens had Excalibur. Anna was buried, and the ashes of Van Helsing was kept in a glass bottle. Sherlock kept it on a chain hanging around his neck. The Invisible Man had joined our team. He was sent in as a secret spy to spy on our team, but I decided to trust him for now. We had gotten the magic sword and kept the Necromonic of the Book of the Dead secure, at least for the moment. We rushed as fast as we could to the church. I could smell it burning. So you might have figured it out. You are not, in fact, the blood of Christ, as we had been told. It leaves the question, though. Who are you, really? And why can you only touch the Necromonic? Well, elementary, my dear Sherlock, I had figured it out some time ago. And who I really am, I simply don't know. 
But I think my ancestors are less holy than Christ. Of that we can both agree, Sherlock smirked. Well, Invisible Man, do you know? And who are you anyway? Can you please show yourself? I don't trust a man I cannot see. While I hope you can trust a naked man, then. The Invisible Man revealed himself in double sense. Fuck, don't you have an invisible cloak to cover that up? I told the mysterious man with his wiener out. I don't mind, and it had to be a pretty big cloak anyway, Suzanne said, enjoying the sight. Ha ha, I think she wants to enjoy that baguette at our next church orgy, Jen said. What the fuck, you guys have orgies? M Merlin never let us have any fun sex parties, and my name is Mr. Wells. Well, I don't think there are going to be any more church orgies. In fact, there will not be a church left standing when we return by the smell of it. And what's with all that weird sex stuff anyways, I asked Jens. Well, I am the blood of Christ, and I might as well enjoy it and have some fun, Jens told me. We got to the church. It was standing in flames, with smoke coming out of the burning church. Father Callahan stood with a group of Templars with swords raised at Jekyll, now completely transformed into Mr. Hyde, and Abby, the boy, was transformed into his demon form. Choose sides. What's going on here? I asked. The priest tried to touch me, so I accidentally lit the church on fire, Abby said. The boy pointed at the priest standing there with the burnt mark on his arm. Somehow I knew the boy was telling the truth, so I just shot the man. Stand down, men. The boy speaks the truth. I was abused by the same priest when I was younger, Jens told. I guess that's messed him up and made him start with the orgies. Heidi, I wanted to see if he was going to be trouble. It appeared not so, because he turned back into his human form, Jekyll. I was just protecting the boy, he told me. Seems like Jekyll slash Hyde could be trusted for now. Well, the genius has a submarine waiting for us to take us to Atlantis. There is another church along the way where we can drop these people off. Sounds like a plan, so we started going. A new challenge appears. Under the ruins of the church, a Frankenstein-esque monster was being built. It looks like the famous movie versions, green skin, flat head, like a Neanderthal bolts in its neck. A mysterious man pulls a lever, and the monster is hit by lightning. It's alive! It's alive! But the blood of Christ will not be alive for long, nor will the keeper of the Necronomic. I will get the Book of the Dead. All hail Yog sagoth The eyes see all. Yog sagoth knows all. Suddenly, a storm brew up out of nowhere. The rain made the invisible man somewhat visible. We all rushed into the church in the woods. We had traveled all day and needed to rest and eat and sleep. And the next day, we would go to the genius and his submarine to travel to the lost city of Atlantis, an underwater city, safe haven. We were all rested after a good night of sleep, 
Me and Laban got some good loving in after her boy finally went to sleep. We all gathered at the dinner table. We were offered the best foods and drinks. Jens, of course, did that old turning water into wine trick. He's such a show-off. I looked around, and one of the dinner guests seemed sketchy as fuck. It looks like a man, but I could see its size, iris, shifting colors, yellow, black, green, etc. It seemed only I could detect it, however. Must be my heightened sensibilities because of my powers. Whoever blood I am related to. No nuts, please. I am allergic, Sherlock told a girl that kept trying to offer him nuts. The strange man approached slowly behind her now. She insisted on offering Sherlock the nuts, even though she knew he was allergic. I could see Sherlock beginning to have trouble breathing. The man grabbed her with one arm. With the other, he grabbed a bottle of vodka and broke it on her head. She took out a hidden dagger from her sleeve and cut the man in the chest, but its green skin started to heal immediately. In fact, it was no man at all. The shapeshifter turned into its true form, a lizard man. I am one of the Illuminati, a secret society of lizard people. We rule the world in secret and keep the humans safe from the capolids and squid people and other elderich abominations. Suzanne had rushed to Sherlock's side and began to heal, attempt to heal him. I am Clover, an assassin. The young girl stabbed the lizard man in his right eye. It screamed in pain, but did not let go of her arm. It placed the arm near his face and began to chew on it. She dropped the dagger, and blood kept pouring from where the wound and ran down the creature's razor-sharp alligator-like teeth. With extreme swiftness, she put her left arm in her pants pockets, grabbed a pill, and swallowed it. She fell down on the ground in convulsions. Who do you work for? The lizard man screamed at her, demanding the truth, but the girl was gone. He searched her body and found one ring with an M insignia. The lizard held it up under the lamplight for everyone to see it. Sherlock's face darkened in fear. No, not him, anyone but him. A knocking sound was heard from the front door of the church. It was the Frankenstein monster trying to break in. Old enemies. I grabbed my assault rifle and I unloaded the entire magazine and shot it through the door at the monster. I can hear him moaning in pain, but alive. I shot the grenade from the grenade launcher attachment on the rifle and the grenade hit the door and exploded, wood splinters flying through the air everywhere. One of them even grazed my cheek and drew blood. I wiped it off with my thumb and tasted it. You drew first blood, monster, but I will draw last if you have any blood left in your undead body. And then I could hear the hounds barking outside, a pack of them with big alpha leading the pack. They sounded strange evil somehow murder blood and death frankenstein's monster crashes through the door the templar tries to hold it off but to no avail the monster rips the head off one templar with its spine still intact with his right hand 
With its might left hand, it holds the face of another Templar. It closes its big hand, turning it into a mighty fist, and also turning the Templar's entire head into a disgusting mush at the same time. The green-skinned monster begins to use the spinal cord with the head as a whip-like weapon, and smashes many Templars to pieces with it. Holmes slaps Jekyll in the face with five fingers to make him mad, hoping he will turn the timid Jekyll into the monstrous hide, but it's not working. I'm aiming at the monster, but I can't get a clean shot. Shit. The monster is surrounded by too many Templars. The monster uses the spine to pierce three Templars like a barbecue stick. Sherlock knees Jekyll in the balls. He can see Jekyll's eyes turn into hides for a moment, but it's not working. Someone must have put some chill pills grinded into dust into the food Jekyll is eating to keep him calm. The monster puts both of its thumbs into the eyes of a Templar, killing him, then punches another straight through the chest. The monster has superhuman strength. One Templar stabs the monster with his sword. Green, foul-smelling blood spills out of the wound, but the monster begins to heal almost instantly. I know what you did. You murdered your own wife and your kids, both the girls and the boy. Sherlock finally manages to piss Hyde off. He transforms. He is the size and has the strength of a silverback gorilla now, a big one at that. He lifts Sherlock and throws him through the church window. The monster smashes the Templar in the face, turning it into a thousand small pieces flying through the air, filled with blood and brain pieces. The monster pulls the sword out of its wound. It closes the hole with its regenerative powers and is now completely healed and is beginning swinging, spreading death in decapitated limbs all across the room. Fire! Try using fire! I yell as loud as I can, but no one listens. And that's when we got into real trouble. Through the windows of the church, undead zombie-like hounds crash through the windows dogs of war. I fill one of the dogs with lead from my machine gun. When I hit its brains, it's finally dead. I grab a lit candle from the dinner table, throwing it at another hound. It begins to start burning and whimpering in pain, but it runs across the room, setting priests on fire. Fuck! It's even more deadly now. Jen swings the Excalibur sword, cutting the hellhounds into two. Three of them down, but there are more, many more. I can still hear the pack leader outside, barking loudly, even more are coming. I cut myself and spilled a drop of blood onto the second page of the Necronomicon. I have no other choice. Blood magic, I begin chanting a spell that will raise the dead from the nearby cemetery. What the fuck are you doing, Santa the Angel, wearing full battle armor now, swinging an axe, decapitating the head of a hound, asks me. Don't worry, I trust him. He is the keeper of the Necronomicon, and his fight for us, whatever his true ancestors are. Jens, the blood of Christ tells her. Outside, an army of undead zombies rise from their graves to fight the hounds. Jekyll is now fucking pissed and rushes towards the green monster. Frankenstein's monster versus Mr. Hyde. Hyde knocks over and tramples a few of them to death. 
in his mad dash towards the green monster, Frankenstein. Fighting with the weapon like a coward, clearly you are no match for my strength, or he would meet me fist against fist. Like an honorable man, you brainless monster, high taunts, Frankie. I am of immense strength, you rapist and murdering split personality garbage excuse for a man. The monster throws the sword away. And it's just the movies and pop culture that have made me look like a mumbling fool. If you read the Shelly Eyes original book, you would know that I was most well-spoken and intelligent, you illiterate swine. Still dumb enough to throw away your only weapon. Hyde sucker punches the monster under the chin. The monster retaliates with a powerful blow to Hyde's face, turning his nose into a bloody mess. Hyde wipes his face and punches Frankie right into the flats of his forehead. Frankie grabs Hyde's arm and tears it clean off. Hyde screams in immense pain, and yellow blood bursts out from his wound. Hyde grabs his sword from the ground with his only good arm. He swipes the double-handed blade with just one hand, cutting both of Frankie's legs off. Hyde laughs. <laughs> Wonder if they make wheelchairs in your size, you green son of a bitch. My legs will heal, your arms will not, rapist. Frankie tears the other arm clean off Hyde's torso. More yellow blood spurts onto the church wall and floor, onto the Han-looking Templars. Frankie begins swinging Hyde's own arm as a weapon against him. Stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, Frankie mocks him. Hyde is filled with rage and now, without his arms, chooses to attack in a different way. He begins biting Frankenstein's neck, tasting his green blood. Frankie grabs both of Hyde's jaws and pulls his face apart into two pieces. Outside, the undead hound of Baskerville approaches Sherlock, mastermind. Sherlock throws a grenade into the open mouth of the zombified Baskerville hound. The grenade explodes, covering himself in the monster's undead blood and guts. Only one man can be behind this, Sherlock thinks to himself, as he sees the hounds chewing on the undead corpses. The zombies smashing the dogs' heads with rocks. Come outside, please, I cannot face him alone. We're coming, I assured my brother in arms. Frankie was covering the floor with dead bodies. There were barely any Templars left to fight him. One of them got the right idea and finally threw a lit candle at him. Fire! Fire! It burns! It burns! Abby transformed. The band commanded her only child. He shifted into his demon form. Me, Jens, the blood of Christ. Santa, the angel. The band, the Arabic beauty with telekinetic powers. And the lizard man from the Illuminati lay waste to the hounds until there was none left. Where was the invisible man? I trusted that son of a bitch. He better not betray us. Bow of fire, Abby burned the green monster to death with just one powerful fire attack. No! The monster burned to death, screaming in pain. Its flesh melted in front of our eyes, and he turned to ashes. We rushed out and killed all the hounds that were left. It can only be one man behind this, the mastermind. Colin Mortary. Somehow, he is still alive.
Sherlock informed us of his latest deduction. Emissary of Yog Sagoth. We left the Templars to guard the church, the few of them that were left anyway. The team consisted of me, the Keeper of the Necromonic, Jens, the Blood of Christ, Senan, Jens, Guardian Angel, wearing Sir Lancelot's armor, after the death of him and Senna's sister, and the now one-armed Sherlock, and Shamalon, the Lizard Man from the Illuminati, the secret society ruling the world and protecting mankind from elder-rich horrors. Or that's what he would have us believe, at least. Luban, the telekinetic Arabic beauty, and my lover, and her son, Habid, who was able to transform into a fire demon, was with us, of course. Hyde was KIA, killed in action, and the Invisible Man was MIA, missing in action. God, I knew better than to trust a man who could not be seen. And Merlin Hand sent him in secret to spy on us. It was only because of my heightened sensibilities that I had even discovered him previously. Watch out, there might be an invisible man in there with you right now. He might be up to no good, I told Father Kahalahan, and the priest promised to keep a lookout. I guess not all priests were child molesters, and Kahalahan seemed trustworthy. And then a rotten walking corpse approached me with its foul-smelling body. It was riddled with flies surrounding it and maggots crawling in the holes that had once been its size. Oh shit! And all that had happened in the battle with Frankenstein's monster and the undead zombie dogs and the hound of Burkersville. I guess I'd forgotten to put the dead to rest. I did just so with a few headshots from my machine gun pulverizing its undead brains. I quickly took out a few more with my new John Wick-like skills and emptied my magazine. The dead had been fighting with us against the hounds, but I guess the spell would not bind them to my will forever. I took the Necronomicon out and cut Jen's hand. Only the blood of Christ on this page, made of human flesh and written in blood of the innocent, would work to put the dead to rest in peace once and for all. The book's page grew a disgusting mouth full of razor-sharp teeth, suckling up every drop of Christ's descendant's blood. But it worked. The dead all went back to their graves, finally at peace. Excellent work, the descendant of Sherlock Holmes told me. Now I must face my ancestor's worst enemy, Colin Mortuary, the mastermind of this attack. He is responsible for the death of Jekyll and Hyde, and countless Templars, the Invisible Man, might be working for him. Yes, it is time to end this. I can feel him deep into the woods. We are heading in that direction anyways. Let's go there and finish this fight. After that, if any of us are still alive, we will meet this genius working for the Order and travel to Atlantis. I agree, Jens the Blood of Christ told me, holding his Excalibur. My life is in your capable hands, Luban told me, and kissed me on the mouth. Her son looked a little embarrassed, but I could sense he was with me. 
Yes, human, you are uh, the keeper of the Necronomicon. For ages, my kind lizard people of the Illuminati have been trying to keep it out of the hands of evil. You defect Karim, the demon in Afghanistan, and Nyrolopet, the brotherhood of Judas Iskorat. Now, we must crush this Moriarty once and for all. Yes, let's not forget my sister, Anna, and Van Helsing, Dr. Jekyll, or Mr. Hyde. All of them lost their lives keeping this book safe, along with countless others whose names we don't even know. May they all rest in peace. I had a vision, Yog Sagoth, the tentacled eldritch monstrosity covered in eyes, all-knowing and all-seeing. In its stone prison, the eldritch god, Chalulu, lay dormant, dreaming, sleeping. He must not be awakened, or he will end the world and doom us all. I saw the ghost of my father. He had been working for the Order before me, and so had his father before him, keeping the Book of the Dead out of the hands of evil. One of your followers carries a secret, he told me before he disappeared into nothingness. I wonder who and what he spoke of, but this was no time for dilly-dallying, and we must carry on with our mission. Into the deep woods we must go. Into the deep woods. We traveled together into the deep woods for a final confrontation with our worst enemy, Mortuary. We found him burning a man with pointed ears alive on a cross, crucified like Christ himself. He died screaming in pain, the air filled with the smell from his rotting corpse. A woman was bound to a tree, naked also, with pointy ears and green eyes. She screamed in agony, and her eyes filled with tears. I did not know this woman, but it was clear she was the lover of the burned man. Mortuary let out an evil laughter. So they come, Sherlock and his doomed fellowship of Christ, and the brought the Necronomic with them, all according to plan. I was thinking of my dead guardian angel, Alex, and all my dead soldier friends from Afghanistan. I would not let this evil man so much as touch the Necronomicon. Two members of his cult attacked us. They both turned into Mr. Hyde-like monsters, big and bursting with gorilla-like strength and yellow evil-looking eyes. Jen swung the Excalibur in a horizontal motion and split one of them into two, and it fell dead into two pieces on the ground. He aimed and striked at the neck of the next one, but his arm was decapitated, seemingly out of nowhere by an invisible force. I knew it. It must have been Wells, the invisible man. I could see Jen's blood spray from his wound onto the tits of the invisible attacker. So this one was a girl. Interesting. Girl or boy matters not in war. I filled the invisible woman's entire body with bullet holes. Santa healed Jen's wound, and the blood stopped spurting out of it. One-handed, he grabbed the Excalibur, but it was a two-handed weapon. One of the followers threw a grenade in our direction, but Luban let it fly back into a pack of them with her telekinesis, they exploded into blood and guts with arms and legs flying all over the place. I could see another one grab a dynamite stick. 
I shot it and it exploded in his hand, killing him and everybody standing next to him, at least five of them. Santa threw her axe into the forehead of the second Mr. Hyde, instantly killing him. Chen swung his magical sword, sending a powerful force at the mastermind calling Mortuary. Cutting his right arm off, he screamed, hurt, and black goo started to rain out of his wound. His wound healed and he grew a tentacle out of it. Tentacles again? Enough of this hentai shit, I said, and emptied an entire magazine into him. Black blood spurted from wounds all over his body. He fell backwards screaming into the fire, and screaming even louder once he started burning. Abid transformed. Luban told her son, and he shifted into his demon form. He burned at least 15 men. The Lizard Man and Sherlock were at the naked girl's side now. Sherlock had a knife in hand trying to cut the ropes so he could free her. The Lizard Man was biting a man's entire face off. He was keeping Sherlock safe. Thank you, my name is Naeva, Queen of the Elves. My husband, Elfric is the king of the elves, and he was burned by the madman mortuary. The naked woman told Sherlock. Understandably, she was shook by her current predicament, tears running from her eyes by the mere thought of her lost lover. My people are forever grateful for what you have done. If only you could find me some clothes, Naeva spoke. And then Mortuary rose from the flames, his body still burning. Now he was covered in eyes all over his burning body. One of his arms and legs, neck, back, and on his stomach, had one big red eye looking straight at me, and the Book of the Dead that I kept so dearly in my hand, holding it tighter than ever. Kill with one word the mastermind commanded death for his enemies, and he would get it. The tree woke up alive, grabbed Sherlock with its arms made of branches. He struggled to get loose, but to no avail. Jens swung his sword at the despicable abomination of man, and in return, Mortuary threw tentacles out of his open mouth. My fucking god, it was truly a disgusting sight to behold. The tentacles wrapped around Jens' only good arm the arm that was holding the Excalibur sword. Sherlock took out his lighter and lit the evil tree's beard made of leaves on fire. The tree's beard caught fire and let Sherlock go by releasing him from the grasp of its tree branch arms. One of the monsters who had once been Mortuary's tentacles grabbed a spear and gutted Jens with it. It was the Spear of Destiny, the same one that purest Christ on the cross has now killed his last descendant. And Sherlock, do you smell that? They threw chestnuts, our one weakness, your nut allergy. The world's smartest detective killed by a simple nut allergy. The tentacled Silopian monster began its mad laughter. It seemed he had outsmarted us all. Sherlock lay dying on the ground, having troubles breathing. Santa had taken her helmet off and was mourning Jen standing beside his dead corpse, with tears running down her insanely attractive emerald green eyes and perfect structured cheekbones. Sherlock was gone. He died a painful death trying to breathe with the inside of his throat swollen up. 
Jens, the blood of Christ, was dead too. Abid, in his demon form, were burning the masterminds, followers left and right. They all died burning and screaming in pain, running around setting fire to each other. The elf queen escaped and got dressed. Jen's guardian angel appeared to still be mourning at his side. The lizard man was biting the head off of one of the mastermind soldiers and swallowed it whole. I was headshotting foe after foe. Luban guided my bullets straight into the enemy's brains with her telekinesis. The battlefield was filled with blood and guts, brain matter, and corpses. Seemingly out of nowhere, an invisible dagger struck the tentacle monster right into its big chest eye. It screamed in pain. It grabbed Wells, the invisible man, with its tentacles and tore him limb from limb with his head last. So he had been on our side all along. This is not even my final form. The monster transformed again. This time it looks like a bubble with eyes and tentacles all over. Santa stopped sucking the blood of Christ out of Jens. She smiled with her big sharp vampire teeth. She grew one white wing because she was half angel still. And another dark bat like wing because she was now half vampire. She was all 100% killing machine. She grabbed the Spear of Destiny in one hand, and the Excalibur in her other. Sucking the blood of Christ out of Jens must have given her the power to wield the mythical blade. She pierced the Yog sagoth looking monster right into its main big eye with the Spear of Destiny, the same spear that had pierced Christ's body now pierced the eye of this abomination, and she began to cut off its tentacles with the Excalibur, dual-wielding two legendary weapons at once. I guess Van Helsing must have bitten her and given her vampiric powers. I also guessed this was the secret my father spoke of. She went at it for a good while, hurting the monster. Finish him, Luban told her demonic son. Bell fire with one final, immensely powerful fire strike. The monster burned and died once and for all. Let's go, team. We must go to the genius so he can get us to Atlantis, the sunken city. We must keep the Necromonic safe once and for all. I told my team, Luban, the Arab beauty, her son Abby, transformed into his human form, a small boy. The elf queen, Naev. Now fully dressed, grabbed a sword from the corpse of her burned lover, Elfric, the Elf King. Shamalone, the wizard man, shapeshifted into human form. Santa put her helmet on again so the sunlight would not burn her half-angel, half-vampire face. Sherlock, Jens, the blood of Christ, and Wells, the invisible man, were all dead, but we had no time to mourn the loss of our friends. We had to get going. To Atlantis, the sunken city. We went farther into the woods, and all of a sudden, the Elf Queen's blade began glowing green. The blade of my dead lover, the Elf King, is glowing. It is signaling that the enemy forces are near. Oh no, not again. We had barely had time to rest or mourn. The loss of our dead friends, Jens, Wells, and Sherlock, I spoke. 
Don't worry, the elves are children of the forest. When I sing my song, the trees and nature will help us. Our stories are intertwined for the moment, Keeper of the Necronomicon, but I must soon climb the world tree. Yaga Dressil, back to my own realm of the elves. She began singing a song of nature's life and our enemy's death. Me and Shamalone the lizard man from the Illuminati gunned down the enemy forces that were approaching. Trolls and ogres, werewolves and windigos. Santa was violently attacking, swinging the Excalibur sword, decapitating many a foe, and the spear of destiny piercing and gutting others. Luban threw daggers and with her telekinetic abilities guided them into the eyes and brains of the enemies. Her son Abidi transformed into his demon form and sent fireballs the size of soccer balls at the enemies, burning them to death. And so Nyanave, the elf queen, finished singing her song. Rocks and trees came to life and fought for our side. They gave us plenty of time to escape. We ran and found Yagdrasil, the world tree. The elf queen climbed it and went back to her realm. We traveled for another day, living off the mushrooms and the berries of the forest. Shem alone pointed us to the cave, unseen by human eyes, but his reptilian eyes could spot it. Inside were many of his kind, the Illuminati, the secret society of wizard people. Shit, I never thought the tinfoil hats like Alex Jones would be right, but yet here we were. They all stood around a giant nuke. They told me they needed the Necronomicon to wake Clefulu, the squid-faced Elderich god, even before the first man was born. The reptilians of the Illuminati had fought. The Kepalids, a race of humanoid creatures with beards made from tentacles. The spitting image of great Cthulhu himself. This was a lot of info to take in. I began to ponder my decision. The want to wake the beast so they could nuke him. I was not sure if I liked this plan. I told Luban my worries via telepathy, projecting my thoughts into her brain without anyone listening. The Illuminati served us a royal dinner of seafood, shrimp, fish, and of course, octopus and squid. The sea dwellers must die, so the reptilian overlords of the Illuminati may live. May we long feed on their flesh. Hail the Illuminati, hail Snakebeard, hail Old Yig, the Elderich Snake. Hail Kaiju, hail the Old Snakes of Great Kush Empire. Hail the Reptilian Overlords, hail Great Merlin, hail the Snakes of Midgard, and every great reptile. Merlin, there was a name I recognized, finally, so he knew about these Reptilian shapeshifters. Did he trust them? Did he know about this plan? Why had he not told me about the secret society of lizardmen? One thing was for sure, I could no longer trust him. The bearded wizard, the reptilian king, was sitting on a throne made of gold, drinking out of a cup he claimed to be the holy grail. After much drinking and eating, we finally went to rest at night. My father's ghost woke me in the middle of the night. 
I knew what I had to do. I woke my team with my telepathic ability. Everyone except Shemalone, of course. Fuck that lizard man. I stole the Holy Grail and programmed the nuke to go off. The Necronomicon had a sleeping spell granted to keep the lizards asleep for 24 hours. I got to the nuke and programmed it to go off in 7 hours. They would still be sleeping, but we would be so far from here that the nuclear blast wouldn't harm us. My team walked and kept walking until we came to the house of the genius. We knocked on the door and a Bigfoot or Sasquatch, you may call him, opened the door. Oh, you're finally here to get to the sunken city of Atlantis, where mermaids and fishermen live, the Bigfoot asked of me. I could tell he was the genius. No one told me the genius would be a big hairy ape, but nothing could surprise me at this point. Inside, seven dwarves were working on a submarine. The Nautilus, who once the great Captain Nemo had piloted on his adventures under the sea, this too did not surprise me. I looked out of the window, and in the distance I could see a great mushroom cloud. I had successfully eliminated the Illuminati to the lost city of Atlantis. We ate and slept. On the next day, the Nautilus was ready to take us to the lost city of Atlantis. The genius Bigfoot piloted the great submarine Nautilus. We went deep under the sea, deeper than any other submarine could dive and take humankind. We torpedoed great white sharks on our way there. We saw the sunken city under a glass dome, keeping the flow of water and predatory sea life out. We went full speed ahead. We could see topless mermaids swimming, some with fire-red hair, some with golden hair some with pitch dark hair, all of them gorgeous, looking like women in the ages of 18 to 25. Men came to welcome us riding on the backs of dolphins and giant seahorses, the tentacled arms of a giant kraken, a mythical enormous octopus of old legends, grabbed our submarine. But the men from Atlantis swiftly cut the tentacles off with their swords. The water filled with blood from the Kraken's giant cut limbs. Sharks gathered to eat the severed limbs. We went full speed ahead. Bigfoot, the genius, was a skilled pilot of the submarine. We went under the dome and parked into the lost city of Atlantis. A yellow submarine was parked there, carved intermingled with the Atlanteans, a humanoid species with the ability to breathe underwater and communicate with water life, like fish, dolphins, and great white sharks. Mermaids were topless and swimming in fountains and pools all over the place. These species had a big need to stay hydrated, I guess, because we were under the dome. We could breathe in here, in this city. A gorgeous redhead with clams for a bra came to welcome us. She told us her name was Amber, and that she would escort us to Poseidon, the king of Atlantis. Poseidon and the portals. We met the king of Atlantis sitting on top of a throne, made from bones from slayed kepalids, the humanoid squids that worship 
the great Cthulhu. Welcome, my friends. You are near the end of your quest. He had a long white beard and long white hair to match, big strong arms like a gorilla and a flat hairy chest full of abs. He was wearing a golden crown and holding a golden trident. He was shirtless and had pants made of some hard scales from some deep sea monster I was not familiar with. I can see you are the blood of Christ. He was looking at Santa with her helmet off. And you are clearly the keeper of the Necronomicon, he said looking at me. The blood of the mad Arab, Abdul Allah Allah Hazard. The what now? I was surprised, but really, I should not be. My father and grandfather were ghosts, I could see. Along with him, the mad Arab. So of course, he was my ancestor. It all made sense. I had been fooled by Merlin, that lying, bearded, fat, bellied wizard cocksucker. Oh, so you did not know. I guess Merlin never told you. Be careful who you trust, human. The king of Atlantis spoke the truth. The ghosts of my father, grandfather, and the mad Arab all appeared in front of me. Somehow, I knew I could trust this man called Poseidon, the king of Atlantis. I just knew. Well, I knew I could not trust those lizard men from the Illuminati. I blew them up with their own nuke. The king of Atlantis laughed. <laughs> Good. They told me of their mad plan to nuke Great Cthulhu. I told them it was a foolish quest, and Atlantis would not aid them in that effort. Of course, we wish to be rid of that Eldritch abomination, but the sleeper must not awake. No nuke could stop him, believe me. It would end the world. It must remain sleeping in its stone home, in Rahila forever and always. The king stepped down from his throne and pushed the throne to the side. The doorway will take you to the house that does not exist. You must remain there and keep the Necronomicon safe forever and always. It is a house no evil can enter, so the book will be protected always. There is no safe way to destroy the book. If there was a way, it would have been destroyed long ago, of course. The door had the number 24 written on it. You must wait and the door will open in 24 hours. You must travel there tomorrow. Let's enjoy a great meal with good food and drinks. And sirens singing and mermaids dancing. Sounds good to me, I said, and it did sound good. We enjoyed a great feast, and at night I went to bed. Luban checked on her son, Abid, and later joined me in bed. The next day I awoke, alone and with the Necronomicon gone. Off to Arleigh we must go. I met with Luban, Bigfoot, Santa, the Vampire Angel, and Poseidon, the King of Atlantis. The book is gone, I exclaimed in terror. Some keeper of the Necronomicon I was, losing the most important book of all time. A book so powerful that it could awake Cthulhu. And doom us all. Fuck. Damn it all to hell. And my son is gone. I went to bed with him and was with him all night. He had bad dreams and could not sleep. And when I woke up, my only child is gone. Wait, what? You were with him and not me. Then who was I f 
You did what now? Hell has no fury like a woman's scorn. The old saying says, and Luban did her best to prove it right. I thought I was with you. It looks like you, smelt like you, and felt like you. The realization of what I had been poking on was slowly creeping up on me. We found the head of Amber, the real Amber. King Poseidon was holding up the head of the deceased former beautiful Atlantean woman in her long red hair. She had been beheaded by a powerful strike of a sharp blade. My dedication says we are dealing with a powerful shapeshifter, possibly another reptilian from the Illuminati that slept with the Keeper of the Necronomicon, stole the book, and also took the boy after taking the shape of the Arabic woman Luban. It probably needs the boy to hold the book. It seems to grow teeth and bite anyone who has no bloodline linked to the mad era of Abdul Al-Hazard. But I fucking nuked the Illuminati, I said. Well, there are of course more of them out there. Some of them might even be foolish enough to wake Cthulhu. Maybe they think to defeat him by other means than nukes. Maybe they just want to doom the world, who really knows? The genius Sasquatch was laying down some cold facts. Indeed, who can understand the reptilian logic of filthy lizardmen? And it might be another form of shapeshifter. I will hereby conclude that this woman Luben is innocent and will not be executed like all the rule breakers of Atlantis are. We must hurry to the filthy stone prison of Arlay where the disgusting abomination the Elderich God Great Cthulhu lies dreaming. There will be many stupid people. The disgusting Kepalids, enemies of mermaids and Atlanteans for generations. My army will help you fight them. Sasquatch, are there more of your kind, Bigfoots or Big Feet, you may call them, to aid on our quest? There are plenty more of my kind, but none that can aid us on our quest, I am afraid. We have no time to gather more allies. We must leave at once. I agree. Well, first, we must make sure that my city will not be taken over by filthy shapeshifters while we're gone. Us Atlanteans bleed blue, a characteristic trait the reptilians have never been able to replicate. So anyone to be left guarding the city will have to cut themselves and bleed in front of my eyes so I can inspect their blood. After the business is taken care of, we shall be leaving. And so he did. Only one person was bleeding red, and the king quickly cut his head off. It turned into a disgusting reptilian head in front of us. We had time to eat and gather weapons and supplies, and then we left in the submarine. Mermaids and Atlanteans riding on giant seahorses followed, guarding us under the sea. We traveled for hours underwater, covering a great distance. In Nutlius, the legendary submarine who had once been piloted by Captain Nemo on his undersea adventures. The genius Sasquatch had of course made some improvements to the submarine, making it more fit for underwater warfare. These upgrades would come in handy soon. In the submarine was me, the Keeper of the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead made out of human flesh, 
and written in human blood. The book I had lost, and the book we must now recover. Luben, my love, the Arabic woman with telekinetic powers. Poseidon, king of the sunken city of Atlantis. Santa, the vampiric angel, wearing Sir Lanquilot's armor. And of course, the Bigfoot was piloting the submarine. You know what, Bigfoot? We never got your name. What is it? I asked my hairy ape-like friend with feet the size of newborn babies. We Sasquatches are not much for names. You can call me Chewie, like my favorite Star Wars character. Well then, Chewie it is, me and Luban said at the same time. We both joined each other in laughter. I was thinking maybe you should let the vampire girl suck some of your blood. You have the mad Arab's blood in you so you can grab the Necronomicon, but only you. It would be most useful if Santa would also gain that ability. Excellent idea, King Poseidon liked the idea. I concur, as long as the vampire-slash-angel girl doesn't mind, Chewie asked. Oh, I don't mind at all, Santa removed her helmet and began to suck blood from my arm. It felt strange and funny as she drained me. But I was alright, my blood was joined with the blood of Christ, that she had already sucked from Jens. The man had aided us in our quest, but met with the most unfortunate end at the end of the sharp tip of the Spear of Destiny, the very same spear that had penetrated his ancestor, Jesus Christ. It was something poetic. But wait, I won't turn into a vampire now, and wait again, maybe you should turn me into a vampire, maybe the whole team. Having the whole team gain the skills of vampires could prove useful, I told the girl. I honestly don't know, but I think not. Not every vampire can in fact make other vampires. If we could, the world would have been overrun with vampires long ago. Only vampire overlords like Van Helsing before he died can in fact make other vampires. Oh, the irony. The greatest vampire hunter turned into a vampire himself. I wonder how that happened, Poseidon, the Atlantean king asked. That is one of many things I wish to discuss with that bearded bastard and old fool Merlin, I proclaimed in anger. You and me both, buddy, but now it's time for action. Enemies approaching. Great white sharks, big ones, a snake-topus, and a small army of squid men up ahead. What the fuck is a snake-topus, I asked, bewildered. It's just as it sounds, a giant octopus with snake arms instead of tentacles, and a giant mouth with sharp teeth. It has been terrorizing the depths and eating many of my people alive. Let's kill this fucker. Time for some action. Chewie was piloting the submarine, and I, of course, was the shooter. The rest of the team helped with launching the torpedoes. The first two torpedoes hit the head of two of the ugly snake arms, killing them both, exploding and turning the water red with the blood from the heads and blowing off tentacles, filling the water. The sharks were hungry and could sense the blood from miles away. There were hammerhead sharks, saw sharks, tiger-striped sharks, gray sharks, but worst of all, the great white shark. They were all fighting for the blown-off tentacle bits and biting at the snake-topus's leftover tentacles still attached to its 
hideous body, some of the sharks fought each other for the leftovers. The great white decided to end the fight and bit the smaller shark in half. I aimed at the snake octopus's hideous body slash mouth in the middle between its arms. I hit it right in its open, ugly mouth and it exploded from the inside out, filling the seawater with its blood and guts. Hideous intestines. Great work, kid. That shot was one in a million, Shui the Sasquatch praised my skill, full shot. Whoa, that Bigfoot really loves Star Wars. Who would have knew it? But Shui, please tell me you don't love the Disney movies, I asked him. Fuck Disney, fuck Kathleen Kennedy, and fuck Mary Sue. The Force was always partly female. Princess Leah was a powerful and strong woman way before Ray and Rose tickled. My man, this Bigfoot, was a man of culture. Princess Leah in that golden bikini in Jabba's place was when I learned a woman can be more interesting than a Nintendo game. Just a boy becoming a man. But I was not going to ask a fucking Bigfoot about his fapping habits. If Bigfoots even did those things, I was not going to find out in the middle of an epic underwater battle anyway. I guess some things are better left alone anyways. I am summoning my comrade in arms, the Great Whales. Poseidon, the King of Atlantis, could of course command sea life with his mind, and I know people give Aquaman a rough time, but there is much more than fish living in the deep. The fucking sharks don't listen to my command. They are all deemed traitors from now on by me, Poseidon, the King of Atlantis, the sunken city, ruler of the seven seas. The great whales came, orcas, the black and white killer whale you might have seen at SeaWorld. The big blue whales, gray whales with their humps on their backs, narwhals with their long spear-like tusks. But most of all, the MVP, the big kahuna, the blue whale's biggest animal on the planet Earth. Its heart is the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. It must eat four tons of curl each day to live. There were four of them, all hungry with open, giant mouths. Opened and swallowing the army of squid men who opposed us in our quest to Arlei, the stone prison of Great Cthulhu. A yellow submarine appeared, it torpedoed one of the blue whales, sharks were fighting and biting each other just to get a taste of the whales, sweet, sweet blowing off flesh, mermaids were cutting the sharks and poking their eyes with knives, some of them had underwater spear guns and shot the sharks straight in the face, killing a few, Atlanteans riding great seahorses cut the head off a of hammerhead sharks and cut some of the smaller sharks in halves. But the great whites proved to be a big challenge, and some of them bit our men in two, and some were swallowed whole. Chewie kept our sub out of harm's way, and I kept shooting torpedoes, killing many great whites. The rest seemed scared and retreated. It appeared we had the upper hand. But the yellow submarine was still out there. Another blue whale was killed in action, leaving us with only two down and two alive. Its giant body was floating dead in the water. Massive amounts of blood from the dead whale filled the water, sending the sharks into a killing frenzy. 
Poseidon summoned a powerful underwater current. The flow of water pulled the remaining squidmen into the shark's kill zone. Arms, legs, and heads were all bitten off, leaving torsos with missing body parts floating about. One of the remaining blue whales opened its giant mouth and swallowed the leftovers of the dead squidmen and the alive ones. They tried their hardest to keep swimming away from its giant mouth, but they were unsuccessful. The mermaids summoned a pack of dolphins, and a group of dolphins can actually kill hammerhead sharks or tiger sharks by working together. Most of the smaller sharks were killed, and the rest fled, leaving only the great whites and the yellow submarine as our opposing forces. The squid men were all dead. Three great whites remained. They were all attacking one great blue whale. The smaller whales had all left. The big blue whale swallowed half of a great white. The other two, however, ripped it apart, and that's when I saw it. I took a chance shot. The torpedo went flying through the water for a great distance, and it hit. I sunk the enemy's damned submarine. I wondered who was inside for a second, but there was no time to find out. I blew the face off one of the great whites. Only one remained and it proved no match for the great blue whale. The whale sent the shark running or swimming. Either way, it fucked right off. We were finally approaching our final destination. Arlay, home of Great Cthulhu, the Elderich God, forever sleeping there, waking him would end the world. We must stop the bad guys and the cursed book of the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead, back into safe hands again. Now we finally arrived at Arlay, the stone prison slash grave where dead Cthulhu was dormant, dreaming for eons. Only a certain page in the Necronomicon had the instructions of how to wake the Elderich God powerful enough to end the entire human race once and for all. The sound of drums, flutes, and banjos being played told me the ritual had begun. The air was filled with smoke and what smelled like burnt flesh. Sacrifices of beautiful virgin girls of different ethnicities, no doubt. One white skin like milk and hair like honey, Scandinavian, one with luscious red lips and ebony skin, one Asian with perfect bone structure and hair dark like the night, and more Bosnian, Romanian, European, Australian, and so on, all of them perfect beauties, too young to die with smooth skin, no man or woman would ever have the pleasure of knowing. The sight and the smell sickened me. The mysterious cult of Cthulhu had been busy. Damn bastards, delusional madmen, all of them, thinking they were in touch with God. But great Cthulhu was no god, even I could hear his call inside of my head now. I almost went insane from the sensation of his tentacles reaching into my brain. Oh, the horror. But I must resist. Luban, my love, was still with me. We had to get her son back. Had to, must get a bead back, get the Necronomicon back, let Cthulhu sleep never to awake again. Santa the Vampire Angel was here too with her armor and the Excalibur sword. Chewie was with me holding a teleportation pad and what looked like a lightsaber. King Poseidon was with us too. 
but he was the only landwalker of Atlantis. Being a half-breed, his army was swimming in the waters, fighting the Deep Ones, aided in their battle by Great Moby, the last of the Blue Whales, King Poseidon's greatest familiar, an animal with a spiritual connection to him, aiding him in his use of magic. The ritual was more than just a blood sacrifice. There were also perverse and filthy orgies going on. I will spare you the nasty description, dear reader. But the participants were beautiful women of all races and ethnicities. Men wearing dark red robes with face masks made from the bones from dead animals, squids, goat heads, giant lizards, and snakes. Trolls and giants, even cyclopses with red skin and one big eye watching the action. In the middle of all this was one of those demons with a living beard made out of snakes. He was holding hands with the reptilian woman who had stolen the Book of the Dead from me, and she was in turn held a knife to the throat of Abid. The young had the blood of the mad Arab Abdul Alazard in him, same as myself, and therefore could hold the book without it biting him. Chewy, the superintelligent Sasquatch, was working on the teleportation device. It would create a portal that would let an army of Sasquatches come to our aid. But fuck, it was loud. It made beeping sounds. Beep, beep, beep. And the Cyclops turned its giant eyes to us. The eye turned bright red with hatred. We had been spotted. It was time for war. Time to end this once and for all. I dual-wielded two P90s, emptied out two 50-round clips of bullets into the enemy horde, shooting off their dicks, faces, hitting chests, and tits, spread death all around me. Then Luban threw grenades. Bodies exploded, arms, legs, heads, and blowing off torsos all came flying through the air. Poseidon summoned a giant wave, and it came crashing down, sweeping the enemy troops away. First wave wiped out, but more were coming. Sana wielded the Excalibur in a two-handed grip, holding it over her head, making it charge up with sunlight, and then swung it down, creating a great wave of energy, splitting the enemy's bodies into two halves, like when Darth Maul fell to his death leaving only the groin and legs left standing. Second wave defeated. But the third one was upon us. Poseidon struck a troll in its ugly face with his mighty golden trident. The troll's skull and eyes were penetrating, killing it instantly. But now, we struggled to get it loose. It was stuck in the enemy's dead flesh. He quickly grabbed the knife, trying to hack the head of the troll's neck. He was not fast enough. Another troll punched him in the ribs, crushing a few of them. He, with great agility, penetrated the troll's heart with his knife. But one arrow from a crossbow-wielding cult member hit his right shoulder, making him bleed blue blood onto the stone ground. At least we knew he was not a reptilian shapeshifter. Luban blew the face of one of the trolls off with her double-barreled shotgun she now was wielding. 
and then quickly shot the fourth and last troll, ending its disgusting and foul, stinking life. There were no more trolls, but plenty of humans led by Cyclopses. One single well-aimed shot from my 357 Magnum revolver blinded the Cyclops, making it stampede over its own troops to death. I killed the next five men with straight headshots and throat shots, but now I was out of ammo, and the enemy kept coming. Santa the Angel had no time to recharge her magic sword. She was in the middle of the enemy horde, slicing down opponents left and right. One of the cult members lit her left wing on fire with a torch. A lone crossbow arrow landed between King Poseidon's eyes, ending his life once and for all. I pistol-whipped one cult member, a naked female covered in blood, straight in her pretty face, knocking her teeth out. Luban levitated a rock in her, smashed, and then kept smashing it into the naked woman's face until there was not much left of it, just a red-colored mess. And then... Chewie lit the laser sword and began cutting heads off. Reinforcements of Sasquatches coming through the portal. Chewie, the Bigfoot, led the charge. Ford, my hairy friends. Ford, kill the snake-bearded man or demon, whatever he is. We must get the book back. Cthulhu awakens. Come on, you apes. You want to live forever? The silverback Sasquatch commanded his troops. He was the biggest one, almost twice the size of a regular Sasquatch, who were all just a bit taller than a big man. This thing was massive and had dark fur, contrast with the rest of the pack's brown fur. His one eye was bright red, and the other one had been blinded by a cut, and he was gritting his sharp teeth. He was ready for a slaughter. He commanded a pack of 20 Sasquatches, including himself and Chewie. They absolutely annihilated the enemy troops. Arms and legs were ripped off, bones cracked, heads smashed, hearts ripped out and eaten while they were still beating. The Sasquatches were fierce and relentless in their assault. It was over very quickly, leaving a battlefield full of dead and enemy corpses scattered everywhere along with their body parts and smashed out brains and ripped out guts. We only lost five Sasquatches in the assault, with fifteen still standing, including Chewie and the leader of the pack, Scarface they called him. He had a big scar across his face. And his right eye, he only needed one eye to be a murder machine, though. Now, we only had the reptilian shapeshifter and the snake-bearded demon left. They were standing in between two caves. I quickly ended the life of the reptilian with a magazine straight to the head, shots from my automatic pistol, leaving nothing left of it but exploded brains, Abid, the young Arab boy slash demon, made his move. Now free from the demon's grasp, he threw the Necronomicon into the burning fires where a young virgin had been sacrificed. The book screamed in pain. 
But the snakebeard triumphant held up a page from the book it had previously ripped out. He did not need to tell me it was the only page he needed. He began chanting in a language unknown to man. Out from the caves came two monsters. From the left was the snake-like head and body of a basilisk, and from the other one, right side, appeared a monster that belonged in the secretive caves of Mexico. It was huge and long, formed like a centipede, and its giant mouth was the size of a cave opening. These cave dwellers usually was laying, waiting for its prey inside the caves, luring their unknowing victims into its foul mouth. Pretending its ginormous, foul mouth was a cave opening, Conclusion would cause its victims to move inside and come back. They simply could not stay away from its call. The eyes of the basilisk made five sasquatches into stone statues with its monstrous gaze. It moved its disgusting yellow eyes towards the band. But the woman was quick in thought and movement both. She had a makeup mirror and showed the basilisk its monstrous face in the mirror. It turned to stone when it saw its own ugly face. The rest of the big hairy apes walked straight into the mouth of the other monstrous creature. It was just like in that story told by the madman. Night Nator, the Sasquatches knew they were marching to their own doom, but they simply could not stay away. The compulsion was too strong. Only Chewie and Scarface remained alive now. Chewie was striking at the monster's tail, but his laser sword was overheated and exploded in his hand. His right hand was blown off, and now he was punching the monster with his remaining furry left paw made into a fist. Santa cut the monster in half with the legendary sword Excalibur. Out of its cut-up body, dead Sasquatches came spilling out. Some were skeletal, some were half-digested. It was a disgusting sight, and it made me puke. Now Scarface was walking into its mouth. I could see into its open mouth and saw that it had many hideous eyes inside. Scarface heard the call, and his compulsion appeared to be driving him inside the monster's mouth. It swallowed him, and after a few seconds it exploded from the inside. Scarface must have sacrificed himself and exploded a grenade. Only the disgusting mess was left of the monster now. A bead had transformed into his demon form and attacked the snake-bearded creature. What the fuck was that thing? Abid had picked up a dagger from the ground and cut one of the snakes out of the snake demon's face, trimming its beard a little. Disgusting, dark black blood spurted out from the cut on the snake man's face straight onto Abid's body. The boy screamed in pain. It appeared that the blood was like acid. It melted holes in the boy's skin. He stomped the cut-off snake's head on the ground to death. It sputtered into an explosion of blood, melting the boy's foot. The rest of us were in a trance-like state, hearing the call of Cthulhu, and could not intervene. Abid headbutted the snake-beard demon, putting his demon horn straight into its right eye socket. Of the snake demon, it had yellow 
insectoid eyes, meaning each of its eyes consisted of thousands of smaller eyes like an insect. Now one of those eyes were blinded. The dark black blood melted a bead's horn, and the snakes in the beard all bit the boy's face, filling him with venom. The boy went for the throat and cut it. Acid blood spurred into the boy's face, starting to melt it off, showing the boy's skull under his flesh. The snake-bearded demon laughed, rubbing a finger with its blood on the page of the Necronomicon. It died with a smile on its face, and the boy Abid died screaming in pain, and then, Great Cthulhu woke up from his eternal dead slumber. Great Cthulhu awakens from his eternal slumber. He was the most enormous being I had ever seen, standing taller than a tower like Empire State, its monstrous belly the size of a mountain. Its tentacled beard had tentacles even longer than the Great Kraken, longer than the anaconda snakes living in African jungles. It was clear to me as soon as this being woke his sleeping brothers, they would lay waste to humanity in no time. Cthulhu grabbed the great blue whale Moby in its right hand and formed a fist, smashing the great whale to pieces. Another terror from the deep rose. Keiju, the great lizard monster. This monster was the reptilian backup plan. They thought this Godzilla-like being could stand a chance against the great Cthulhu. It was a head shorter than the squid-bearded monster, and it bit Cthulhu straight in its neck. Cthulhu began to drip dark red blood from its wound, filling the ocean underneath it. Maybe the Illuminati was onto something. When the nuke plan had backfired on them, maybe this giant reptilian would be able to stand toe-to-toe against Great Cthulhu. But I had a very bad feeling about this. If I had to place a bet on this Clash of the Titans, I would wager on the Squid God. Cthulhu placed its hands on the Great Reptilian's face and struck its hideous thumb straight into the yellow eyes of the oversized lizard monster. The Great Kaju roared in pain. Cthulhu began to strangle the Kaju monster by wrapping its eldritch tentacled beard against the reptilian's windpipe trying to suffocate the monster. The reptilian hit the eldritch god with a haymaker into its gray belly and Cthulhu retaliated with an uppercut to the reptilian's jaw, making the lizard bite its own tongue off. The clash of the giant monsters began to split RLA into two pieces. Their blows were so powerful that they caused a great cataclysm. A giant snake from Ying was summoned by Kaju. It appeared to be its familiar, a monster bound to it that gave it spiritual strength. Now it came to aid Great Kaju in this battle for life or death for all humans living on this planet. The snake wrapped itself around Cthulhu's throat and began to suffocate the monster like a boa constrictor. Maybe we could win this after all. Out from the dead carcass of the cave monster, a hideous cocoon was birthed, and out of that cocoon, an even more hideous sight was spawned. 
Nairo Lopez, the tentacled god we had defeated in the battle for the Excalibur, what seemed like a very long time ago when so many of our friends were still alive. We lost so many lives along the way, and now this abomination was back. I come in peace, humans. I am on your side. If Cthulhu destroys all humans, there will be no one left for me to torture. I am a malignant god like a bad kid with a magnifying glass. Burning ants and all of humanity are like ants to me. And you did surely not think you could defeat me so easily. What the tentacled-headed monster said rang true to my ears. He was on our side after all. And yes, defeating him had seemed too easy. Cthulhu grabbed the snake of Ying and ripped it into two halves. It died in an instant, and then he grabbed the bottom and top jaw of the reptilian's face and began to rip it apart. After some struggling, he was victorious. The great Kaju died a most painful death. Human, grab the Book of the Dead. You know what you must do if I am not successful in calming Great Cthulhu. The Eldritch Abomination Nairo Lopez spoke before trying to communicate with the world-ending Squid God. I grabbed the Book from the Flames. I could only pray Nairo Lopez to be successful, or I would have to pay the ultimate price. Great Cthulhu swatted Nairo Lopez like a fly. Do it, no mother should live longer than their child anyway, Luban commanded me. It was the hardest thing I had ever done, but still, I had to do it, and quickly, without much hesitation, sacrificing the love of my life. There simply was no other option, but how could I do this? Well, if I did not do it, her and me would both be dead anyway, and so would everyone else on Earth and she was willing, perhaps in death, she would be reunited with her only child. With tears running down my cheeks, I grabbed the Necronomicon and a dagger and stabbed my beloved straight in her heart. Blood magic I had to pay in blood to the demon to grant my wish. The goat-headed demon, Baphomet, appeared in front of me. Your wish will be granted, human, for the cost of her soul and yours both. Two lovers, burning in hell, eternally tormented together. At least we will be together, I spoke. As you wish, the demon grabbed Luban's dead body and ripped it apart, blood spraying everywhere, and he sucked the soul out of her. Then he began binding Cthulhu to his will. After some struggling, the Eldritch God began to go to sleep, like a hideous, monstrous baby. Me, Santa, the Angel, and Chewie, the Bigfoot, all went to the submarine Nautilus and went back to the sunken city of Atlantis. When we were there, I said goodbyes to my friends and alone walked into the portal to the house that does not exist. I remained here until the end of my days. No evil can enter this house. I am the Keeper of the Necronomicon, and I will keep the Book of the Dead out of the hands of evil forever. Hey guys, thank you for listening to today's Creepypasta, and I hope you enjoyed. I do have a podcast called The Murder House Radio Show. Check it out. The link will be in the description below. It is a true crime podcast. But if you did like, like, comment, subscribe, and share for more, hit the bell notification. 
when you subscribe and select all to get all notifications whenever I upload. I upload six days a week, Monday to Saturday, at least one video a day. Now all the long episodes and full series of creepypastas are on all major podcasting platforms under the name deadly underscore zone underscore narrations. There will also be a link for it in the description. Also go follow all the social media accounts that are in the description below. I do have a subreddit called deadly narrations. The link will be in the description. Also in the description below are the sources to the creepypasta and the music used. So go check those out. Let me know what creepypasta you'd like to hear next. Or if you have your own you would like me to narrate. Or if you have a creepypasta series you would like to hear. Send them to me on any of the social medias in the DMs. Or to my email address which is also in the description. Or leave them in the comments below. Also in the description below is the author's social medias if they have any listed. But that's it for today's creepypasta. I hope you enjoyed. Until next time in the deadly zone. Stay deadly and stay spooky.